Uh, yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Humanity Jitsu podcast. Today is episode 45, and I'm joined by a second degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and he's also the man behind the Night Jiu Jitsu channel, Eli Knight. What is up, Eli? Hey, how's it going, man? You're doing all right. Yeah, man. Guys, this quick disclaimer. We totally didn't have a 25-minute pre-ramble just chatting the <laughs> shit. We totally didn't. That's a scholar's rumor, and I don't much appreciate the accusation, so go out of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, guys, as I, as I said, Eli is behind the YouTube channel Night Jiu-Jitsu. I just want to... I just want to get it out of the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's what sort of inspired you to start making uh, YouTube videos about jujitsu? Um, YouTube. Because like, <laughs> the, the first video that I made, YouTube was maybe like, I don't even know if it was a year old. I think that YouTube had just become a thing. And me and my buddy were, um, I think we were purple belts at the time. And, you know, I had... It was, it was, it was cool because it's like a resource. We, we always, you know, coming up, we didn't have very many resources as far as, you know, you could find, um, I think I had like a bootleg, uh, VHS tape or two, like, you know, I had a, an old Fabio Gergel, uh, VHS tape that was all in Portuguese. I remember somebody had a, a VHS tape of like Sakuraba that was in Japanese, you know, and <laughs> like, so these were our resources. So it's like you, you, you learn directly under someone. Or, you know, there just, there was not a lot of instructional information out there. Um, so whenever things like, um, like YouTube came out and so there were several platforms, YouTube wasn't like immediately the number one, it didn't take long, but you know, there were a few different ones. And so I actually had like a camcorder and, you know, like one, one of those little like actual tapes inside this thing. And I was like, man, uh, talking to my buddy, Jared and like let's let's do a technique of the week kind of thing which actually turned in more like a technique of the month or two months we, <laughs> we didn't do it very often like we, we we had this plan to um but you know i mean it's you kind of feel like you're just not really doing anything you, you throw up a video and you know it's like a couple of weeks go by and you've got like eight views on it <laughs> and you know it's like uh what's the point you know so but we i still kind of stuck with it and over the years and after about uh, I think about 10 years of doing a video every once in a while, I amassed like a, a, a humongous 6,000 subscribers on YouTube after about 10 years. And then just something happened like in like 2017, 2018. And I just had a couple of videos that, that got really popular. And then my channel started growing and it just kept on growing. And I was like, well, now I got to take this more seriously and, and, you know, actually start, uploading more frequently if i want to sustain the growth but i've been i've been pretty lucky it's been growing ever since so mm. oh man it's actually funny because see i was at training yesterday and i said to one of my friends oh i'm having eli knight on he's like oh dude fucking eli knight he's like the first guy <laughs> he's like the first jiu-jitsu guy i started watching on youtube man that's, awesome. out. <laughs> that's too cool I love yeah, like, it's, it's so funny it's so weird to me <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's one more thing I want to get out of the way. This is I, I, I bet this is the most common question you get, and you probably know what I'm about to ask you. Um, let's see. Uh, one of the most common questions I guess why I have a blue sleeve on my black belt. <laughs> that is it. Is that, That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> that is yes. it. I, there's, you know, it's funny. I've never made a video about that 
for some reason, I don't know why, because like uh, it's a comment almost every video that I make in the geek. But um, uh, there's actually a video on Chewy's channel. Like I'm talking to Chewy, me and my buddy, because he's he's another black belt under hoist with me. So we both have the blue sleeves. And Chewy, you know, like made a video of you know talking to us about it. And uh, so I always like copy and paste the link to that video when somebody asks me the question. <laughs> but uh, basically, like a few years back. Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm a black belt under Hoist Gracie. And a few years back, he and the Valencia brothers, Pedro Hongui and, and uh, Joaquin, they started to adopt kind of a slightly different belt ranking, not, not belt ranking system. The, the rank is pretty much the same order. But instead of, um, um, well, let me back up. When I first got my black belt, I've got a black belt with a white sleeve. That's how Hoist did it. And that's how a few other people do it. You see that white sleeve. Basically like a black belt with a driver's permit before you get your license. And so, <laughs> you know, you, you um, then, you know, after a couple of years, I got my red sleeve. No bars, just a red sleeve. And then a couple more, a couple more years after having my black belt with a red sleeve, I got my professor bars. So I had the white ends, you know. Um, and then... Not long after that, that's whenever um, the Valencia brothers and, and Hoist Gracie, like they, they adopted this blue sleeve. So they started changing to over to a blue sleeve. This around shortly after the time that Hoist started to wear his navy blue belt instead of his black belt with, you know, all the degrees on it. So, um, you know, he, he started to kind of promote that. Basically, the reasoning is a little bit more like... The easiest way to say it is that it is to represent Elio Gracie um, kind of lineage and self-defense base to jiu-jitsu over sport. Um, it was kind of a reactionary movement or a reactionary kind of feel against the IBJJF and against more sportive conventions of jiu-jitsu that have kind of become more popular, honestly, than the self-defense base. Because, you know, honestly, if you're talking about Brazilian jiu-jitsu these days, it's especially if you say BJJ or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you tend to think more sportive. You think gi grappling, no gi grappling with, with a certain rule set that's built for competition. Um, you don't tend to think about the self-defense element of it. You know, at most you think about how it applies to MMA. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, and it's, it's very important to the Gracie family, you know, and it's extremely important to Hoist and, and um, you, you know, and to honor Elio Gracie, like to, to have the, the foundation being self-defense the way that, you know, it was taught in the early days. So um, that's kind of it. It's, I, and I'm not saying that like, those are all a hundred percent, like my views and values and everything else like that. I, I absolutely love every competitive aspect of, of jujitsu and, and um, you know, everything from MMA to like IBJJF tournaments to, EBI type rules to whatever. So, um, but you know, I am a self-defense guy at heart. And I think that's, that's kind of one of the things that people have identified me with is that I, I try to bridge the gap a little bit between the elements of self-defense and sport. And I like to talk about like how certain sportive movements may have evolved kind of uh, based on a lot of similar movement and foundational skills of some of these self-defense aspects. Cause I think it's fascinating to, to see that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's the long winded answer of why, but basically that's it. Mm. Uh, guys, if you're interested, I'll have a link to Eli. She has a few instructionals about like key to streets, like how to apply like collar chokes and street clothes and the like. 
or just jujitsu self-defense based sort of stuff. I'll have it linked from his BJJ Fanatic stuff. I'll have it linked in the show notes. So if you guys are interested, go and have a look, check it out. Not, I'm not being paid to say that. I just think it's interesting. <laughs> and if you're interested, Eli also didn't like threaten to crucify me if I didn't do it. <laughs> just that's just conjecture. Go out yeah. of that. Oh, your your checks in the mail. Your checks in the mail. <laughs> don't, man, don't tell them that. God damn it. Confidential. <laughs> okay. Nah, so Eli, what sort what sort of got you started into martial arts? Did you train anything else before starting jujitsu? Um. Yeah. In in the place where I live, and this was like the like early nineties. So, um, cause I'm really fucking old. Uh, I, we, all we really had around here was like karate and Taekwondo for the most part. Um, and you know, I, I was just like, I was having a rough time as a, a teenager and I, you know, some of my friends like finally, you know, talking in, I was, I was always interested in martial arts, like any kid would be, but, um, you know, I finally, a buddy of mine talked me into going to his Taekwondo class with him and, you know, I went and I had a good time. It was, you know, it was fun. It was something I was never an athlete at all. I didn't play sports. I was, you know, uh, just very awkward and everything else. And so it was, it was doing something physical that I felt coordinated at, you know, or felt like I could get coordinated at. And so, and, you know, I stuck around Taekwondo for like a year and a half or so. And, um, you know, in that time, I, I'd become friends with a, a kid in my high school who was taking jujitsu classes and, you know, was telling me about it. And I was like, I, I don't know. I like the, the kicking and all that, you know? And, and so, um, but, you know, we kept talking about it and I was interested in going to try it out. Um, and then the UFC happened and I was like, well, damn, the jujitsu guy won like the whole thing, you know? And so uh, I was, you know, that got me even more interested. And so, I went to my buddy's jiu-jitsu class and it wasn't, it wasn't the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, there, that really wasn't around very much at all in those days, unless you were on basically one of the coasts of, of the States, you know? So, and we were right kind of in the middle for the most part. Um, so, but I, I met this, uh, this man who was teaching it, his name's Jason Hawkins. And he's, I'm actually like in the same school with him to this day. That was like over 25 years ago now. And um, he was he was a second degree black belt in, in jujitsu, which it's easiest just to call it Japanese jujitsu, even though that's not exactly right. Um, but he was also doing Filipino martial arts. He was he had been you know training under Dan and Asanto, uh, and you know had a, a background in various different styles and just a true martial artist, you know. And so that, for me, who had I've gotten like really into the philosophical aspects of martial arts and just all things martial arts I was consumed with. And so to meet a man like that, that wasn't a one dimensional martial artist that, that really had an open mind and was really, really into all ranges of, of the fight, you know, and that was fascinating to me. And of course, you know, with like around that time was kind of like uh, uh, concurrent with uh, Gracie Jiu Jitsu like kind of exploding because of the UFC and so you know we wanted to find out more about this and so we, we would go wherever we could you know I remember like in the, the early days we'd travel and, and drive to seminars that wherever they would be whether it was in like St. Louis or somewhere in Indiana or and uh, and we went to Nashville to Memphis to Louisville to you know those are the close places and then you know, whenever we could go to the farther places for like a camp or or for you know a few days at a time or a week at a time, then we would do that too. Um, 
and you know, luckily back then there were there were a lot more people because the UFC really opened up the um, the ability for a lot of people to come out of Brazil, uh, a lot of these Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructors to come to the states, and so they everybody wanted to kind of carve out their area. So you had people that would, would come closer to the Midwest and everything, but also at the time, Hoyce and Horian were doing a lot of seminars uh, all over the states and and all over the world. So we got to see them, you know, quite a bit. And um, even, uh, you know, Grandmaster Elio was even teaching at seminars back then. So, you know, we got to train with him a, a number of times. And it was it was just really cool. Like, it was a, a great time to get into it, you know. So I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. Um, but that was, that was kind of how I, you know, graduated, I guess, from like Taekwondo to, you know, different martial arts. But, but that's how I got to Gracie Jiu-Jitsu for the most part. God damn, man! It's, I say, I like you just said, man. I can't even imagine how much of an honor it would be to train with Helio way back in the day, the head honcho himself. Yeah, it was very cool. Like, I mean, it, it was uh, it, it was cool because, of course, he has like a, a an aura. Like, you know, he he's this he's just like a, a living legend at that time. You know, and especially to hear the stories that you know, uh, like Horian and, and Hoyce would would tell about him and. I remember being at a camp one time and it was just a really surreal experience that you had just this question and answer session after the training with, with, with Elio. And he, you know, Horian was translating for him and it was just really cool to hear, you know, some of his, not, not even the stories, but just, you know, some of his views on, on fighting, you know, and it was just, it was a cool thing. It was, that was really, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of political stuff these days in in jiu-jitsu and you know some of it some of it makes sense and other parts are just ridiculous but you know like when you hear about like people who are divided into factions in jiu-jitsu and it's like this group doesn't associate with this group and that group doesn't associate with that group and that's all just silly man like for for me i guess coming up through the lens and and just kind of seeing how how it was developed in the states and how it was disseminated but then to think like how it fractured and everything it's just i don't know it's really kind of heartbreaking because um i have very fond memories uh of of back a long time ago before that was really a part of the the culture yeah mm-hmm. oh man see uh, we've got this segment here just about sort of questions for coaches and stuff What's uh, would it be? Uh, sorry, what would be the first sort of technique you try and instill in your your like beginners pool? Like, say it's day day one class or a new beginners group. What's like the first sort of thing you teach them? Uh, upaski. Yeah, maybe it's just a, a escaping mount position. You know, that's that's. Uh, if I had to pick like a a day one technique, now you know it, it depends a little bit. Like it, it depends on what the group is or what the individual is and what they're they're their desires are, you know, I mean, if I got somebody coming in and says, you know, uh, but almost across the board, I'm going to teach everybody for the most part, pretty much the exact same first technique. And that's probably going to be escaping mount. Mm. Uh, man, I tell you fucking, uh, one downside of jujitsu for me is that it is fucking ruined movies for me because you see the typical <laughs> thing. Someone gets mount and they do the, the fucking, the, the fucking just grab your neck and squeeze choke. That doesn't even yeah. fucking work unless you have <laughs> yeah. like, unless you're like have ginormous hands or anything or your neck is tiny. 
Like, yeah. I, 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 I'm just face palming. Like, man, just do an escape yeah. and like, oh my god, <laughs> it's, it's jujitsu well, has ruined movies for me. I would, I would rather see, um, I would rather see something like that in a movie than to see somebody try to do a jujitsu move and just butcher it all to hell. Like somebody do like a rear naked choke with their hand on the outside of their forearm, you know, <laughs> or like, or like a, a really shitty triangle choke or something, you know, where, where it's like, okay, you just, somebody like Googled some shit, like during the produ- production of this movie, didn't consult with anybody or anything, you know, or it was like, uh, you know, some kind of famous actor, tries to do this thing and and nobody's everybody's too scared to tell him that he did a shitty version of it you know that, uh, that it is it's it's heartbreaking to watch movies sometimes but you know once in a while you get something cool it's like you know a surprise you know so it's it's helped sometimes uh, man i tell you a most recent example out of this i seen hitman agent 47 i don't know if you've seen this movie it's uh it's fucking garbage but man, you know, yeah. okay. I only saw the first like twenty minutes. Then I just stopped watching. You, you, you remember <laughs> the the scene where he's in like the train station and he's hip tossing this guy like three times. Like man, this guy is clearly <laughs> not gonna stay down. Could you not just take an extra second, choke him unconscious, or like arm by him or something, so he'll stop pursuing you and you can kill this girl? Just, just take an extra second to kill him, and then you won't have to yeah. keep hip tossing him. Agent forty seven. What the hell? Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's why. Um, like the John Wick movies are, are like good and bad, you know, because like some of the stuff on there, it's like, that was super unnecessary for you to do like, uh, this like jumping guard thing you just did, you know, like you <laughs> basically did like, uh, like a flying leg scissor and then shoot the dude in the face, you know, but it's, <laughs> it, it's just so over the top though. And, you know, and he does a good enough job. You can tell that Keanu Reeves like trained his ass off for those films and, you know, he mm-hmm. had good, good people working with him and stuff. So it's like, enough over the top where you can just kind of turn your brain off a little bit for those, you know, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's some really, some really bad stuff out there. Mm. One of the ones that springs to mind, it's just with the John Wick one where he's in the club, he sort of pulls De La Hiva for a sec, he grabs your man's soup, he like pulls De La Hiva and then like midway through the pool, he like swaps into Tomanagi, just flings him over. I'm like, nice. That was good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> See, I mean, it's like they, you could tell at least that the choreographers and that the stunt people like had, uh, and, and Keanu had like respect for, you know, like the validity and, and the, the accuracy of the movements, you know, like, you know, and, and it showed all the way through those. That's, that's why I like, I wasn't crazy about some of the storylines to that movie, but I mean, it's, it's cool just because you know how much training that he did for that, you know, everything from firearms to jujitsu in that movie. So. Hmm. Oh, uh, just a little sidetrack before, like, we're, we're talking about firearm training. Did you ever see uh, Terminator 2, right? Yes, it's been a lot of years, but yeah. Like, Robert Patrick, the guy who played the T-1000, like, man, yeah. he, done, he put so much effort into that role. Like, he only, he never blinks in the whole movie. He blinks, like, twice. Like, he just yeah. never blinks. He fires the gun with both hands because a robot does that, doesn't right or left-handed. He can reload the yeah. gun and cock and stuff without looking at it. And he can sprint for ages without, like, looking like he's breathing in because, you know, he's a robot and he doesn't breathe. Right. You know, and that I remember because, it, like, it was a long time ago, but I do remember um, seeing an interview with, with him uh, or with the director or someone talking about him. And he said that he, um, he said that he studied a lot of movements of insects, like, to have kind of like that, that instead of looking at, you know, 
to, to figure out how a robot would act, he watched insects move, you know, especially whenever he had like the daggers coming out of his arms and stuff. He watched kind of like how, you know, uh, they would modify the way that they, they would walk or the, you know, some of the mannerisms and some of the, uh, the head movements. And yeah, I thought that, that's pretty cool. It's cool to see people get immersed in their roles. Mm. And that was just a serious amount of effort on his part. So shout out to Robert Patrick for putting effort into his role. But man, those new Terminator <laughs> movies, they're just garbage, man. They wouldn't oh, put that yeah. much effort into them. Like, oh, they're just horrible. Is, yeah, I, I watched last one I watched was, um, I guess it was the newest one. I, I watched it on a plane. And sometimes like when I watch a movie on a plane, usually, you know, if my plane ride is like an hour and 15 minutes or something. And, you know, it's it's a, like 15, 20 minutes before the Wi-Fi even kicks in, I can watch something. But so it's like, I see like 45 minutes of a, a two hour movie and I'm like, oh, damn it. You know, and I'm, I'm like pissed whenever it like, that one I was fine. And I was like, yeah, it's, I don't need to see anymore. <laughs> that's, that's all right. Oh, let's see. Okay, so bring it back to the jiu-jitsu talk. <laughs> Shout out to Robert Patrick, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. See, what would your coaching style sort of consist of? Would you sort of emphasize drilling, rolling, or specific sparring? Just what's, what would you favor? Um, I, so I, I, I know that people's terminology that changes from, from place to place, kind of, but I, I, it, it, again, it depends on, the group, the class, how much time I have with them, if it's individual, like what, what we're training for, because like, you know, I've, I've got, um, like, so my, my, my day to day, I'm, and this is how I answer everything. So I apologize, but <laughs> this is, my, my day today was, uh, you know, I had a couple of teenagers that were brothers that came in and they're wrestlers and, um, you know, so it's like off season and they haven't started wrestling back. And their dad's like, you know, I want them to do jujitsu in addition to wrestling. So, you know, those kids had a very... Amazing. <laughs> so, okay, so guys, sorry about that. We had a bit of a technical difficulty. Skype sort of shat the beds and uh, it put a bit of a wrench into works and nearly ruined this episode. But you can never keep a good humanity down. So we're back. So, <laughs> and we're going to move on to some of the Instagram questions I got, or... Well, Reddit questions. I didn't get anything off of Instagram, you bunch of fucking ingrates. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Eli, one of the questions I got off of Reddit was, uh, what are the best submissions for super heavyweights? Also, are there any more moves for chest compression like ke- like the Kizakatame? Hmm. You know, it's funny. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to do a video soon um, about dick moves in uh, jiu-jitsu. <laughs> And uh, I've got I've got some good ones. I've I've got a, a video out called "Bullshit Jujitsu Moves That Actually Work," and this is going to be kind of like a next level of that. But um, the, I know that, um, and actually, one I hit today on that guy just because he was he was kind of frustrating me a little bit was the um, that's a great one for big guys is mounted. Um, I don't know what to call. It. I always call it the waterboarding because you know you get basically <laughs> almost like a Muay Thai plum on the guy from Mount and then you kind of get his nose buried in that little sternal notch. And so, you know, you can't breathe and you basically just suffocate him. So, you know, there's, there's that one. Um, I do know a good, uh, one of my favorite guard passes to show big guys, as long as I don't have to roll with them afterward is the, uh, is the Tozy or the Sao Paulo pass. Um, and that, that's an excellent pass for a big guy versus a little guy. And that, I think it's a, it's a topic that's, that's kind of, uh, 
lesser explored because you know jujitsu is supposed to be for the smaller person to beat the bigger person so the big guys get a lot of hatred a lot of the time you know because it's like well you don't show big guys technical moves to do to little guys that's not fair you know so uh but uh it, you know the big guys need love too so you know it's i'm an equal opportunity instructor so <laughs> uh, your man brought up a uh, Kezakitame there, and like mm. I'll tell you something funny because this involves little guys as well. One of my main training partners is this little crazy Kyrgyzstani fella called Klim. He's like sixty kg. He's like mm. a bit shorter than me, but man, he he's a fucking killer, man. He whoops my ass. It doesn't even matter. Like I have to roll with him, like I'm rolling with someone my size and strength because his technique is just so good. I I, I get yeah. if I lack if I if I ease up on him, he'll fucking kill me. So uh, here's one thing, like um, uh, Kizukitame is like a bit niche, like it's a very, you don't see it that much, it's recently gotten more popular in my opinion, mm -hmm. but like you don't see it that much, so I decided, you know what I'm going to do, I'm going to learn a lot of this fucking Kizukitame stuff, and I'm going to call it the Klim Buster, because I, I fucking, <laughs> I developed a game for Kizukitame just to fucking beat this one dude, and I've had, I've had mixed results, and I was yeah. getting him with it, and you know what he fucking did? He started doing it to me. I'm like, you fucking piece of shit. What the hell? That's uh, not how this works. <laughs> that's See, Kesa Kadami, like, it, it, the door swings both ways. Because, like, I, I would, uh, if, if I'm going against a bigger guy, I'll get to Kesa all, all the time. Like, and, and bigger guys have a harder time a lot of the time getting out of Kesa because it's such a weird weight distribution. And you can you can really make some nasty kind of like uh, headlocks and stuff work from there, right? My favorite thing from Kesa is the, uh, I always call it the accordion squeeze. I think that uh, Eric Paulson shows it and calls it something else. But I learned it a long time ago from uh, Carlos Machado. And it's basically like, you know, keeping your, your standard kind of Kesa, like headlock kind of Kesa, and getting that bottom far leg and then just compressing the guy in it's, it's nasty and it, it will always piss anyone you hit it on off so uh it, it's one of my favorite things to do because it's it, you don't have to sit there and try to isolate the arm you don't have to like you know try to set up any kind of choke or transition your weight or anything it's just swim back grab that leg and grab your inside of each thigh and just you know do the thigh master on them and you got them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see I, i'll admit I did that move one time. Like, uh, I, I learned that move when I was researching the Kezakitame stuff. But, like, your mm -hmm. man said it was kind of like a spine lock or a chest compressor. So I didn't want to do it because I, I didn't want to be mean. But uh, I kind of did it in anger one time. Like, because <laughs> my best friend, he bow and arrowed me. But he's a lanky bastard. And he done it so quick. He fucking, you know, like, do you ever get bow and arrowed? But you get extended so quickly. It's a fucking uh, spine lock as well. Right. It's a fucking yeah, spine yeah. lock. Yeah, you have to tap from the wrenching on your spine before the choke even sets in tight enough yeah that's that's a frustrating yeah. thing so after i tapped to that after being spine locked i'm like you know what i'm gonna return the favor with a dick move of my own so i done that to him and like uh i didn't feel bad about it <laughs> yeah i mean so okay if if i tap okay it, like there's there's certain there's certain moves that i would consider dick moves that i will feel bad about and some that i won't feel bad about you know it's like, so it's it's kind of like if and it, it depends a lot on the other person, right? I mean, if if you were unintelligently and spasmodically trying to uh, escape or defend or, or do something crazy or, or attack me from a bad position, I have very little remorse about tapping you with a dick move. 
Like it's mm. like it, it, because it it becomes. Um, I don't want to say asserting your dominance, but I mean you have to respect the position. You have to respect the hierarchy of dominant positions and dominant, you know, procedures and everything. So I don't, I don't have that much remorse whenever I tap somebody with like that kind of chest compressor or some kind of compression lock or, you know, something like that. Mm. Uh, sure. Yeah, it's just a way of it sometimes. That was like, yeah, indigestion. Indigestion is kind of fucking me up today. So guys, <laughs> I know what's wrong with me. Uh, so here's a, here's a good question. Uh, what would you say is like one of the dumbest, like sort of air quotes, self-defense moves you've ever seen? Like sort of like something you'd see on McDojo life, if you like that. Oh, man. Whew. That's that's a that's that's a long list, man. That's a long list. Well, OK, so let's let's like go ahead and wipe out the end of the spectrum that is like obviously horrifically stupid, you know, like 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 pressure point stuff. You know, yeah. everything George Dillman ever shows, you know, all that that kind of, you know, you you hit gallbladder 12 and then kidney four and then, you know, you, you do this chi blast. So all that aside. So getting into stuff that is um, almost like more mainstream in self-defense realms, because there's a lot of like reality based self-defense stuff that I think gives self-defense a worse name than some of the crazier shit. Because at least the crazy shit can be marginalized, right? Mm. But then you see you see stuff like, um, and I'll, I'll get to the actual answer. But this is this is a, a good kind of case study right here, right? So I have a video floating around that is a gun disarm, right? And I, I showed it, and the video is basically a birambolo gun disarm. <laughs> and so, and it's obviously a joke it, it should yeah. obviously be a joke but my delivery is the same as in any of my other videos but you know i go through this 10-step process of this technique you know and it's we start from de la Hiva, we're both wearing geese the guy has a gun tucked in his belt <laughs> of his feet and i do this day this you know this uh, i set it up from from kneeling de la Hiva. i do a beer and bolo come up to this back pull his gun out and i shoot him with his own gun and so there's three reactions you can have to that video one is Haha, ha, that's hilarious, awesome video, right? That's the reaction you're supposed to have because it's a joke and it's the sportiest move for a self-defense situation, right? Um, the other reaction you can have is, um, okay, that's bullshit that would never work in a real situation and this is why. And those are the people who are just kind of like, okay, you don't get the joke. You think I was trying to be serious. Okay, here's the reveal. It was a joke, okay? So those are the two reactions that make sense, I guess. The people who are scary, though, are the ones who are like, man, that's a pretty cool technique. Uh, are you worried about this happening, though? Or it's like the Ugh. people who thought I was serious and they didn't have that big of a problem with the technique. They thought, you know, hey, I could see that really happening. That's the scary people that, that that's a scary margin of people that you have to be concerned about when you're showing anything self-defense related, because, you know, you don't I don't even want those people's approval. Like I want those people to like just get some kind of foundational knowledge of like how fights could really even happen before they even have any kind of opinion about anything. So, um, yeah, that, that's not uh, that's not really answering the question, but it kind of was a tangent about what it made me think of. Um as far as like some some scary stuff there's when it comes to weapon stuff especially knife stuff i think that there's a, some really scary stuff floating around and anytime it's a, like an overly committed attacker 
that's too linear and that's holding their arm out in a certain position for too long of a period of time with that knife in it and the other person is just moving around them doing all this stuff that's a that's those are scary things to me that that's stuff that needs to really be called into question because you know you like it, it's not uh you know, there, there are these old kung fu movies where two people would be fighting and they would be in like an equal fight and then one would pick up like a sword and it would still be an equal fight except it's just different tactics now it's that's not in my opinion, how fights work. <laughs> like they're, they're a knife, a gun, a stick, anything, any weapon is a force multiplier. So it's not only that you employ different tactics, it's that it's an exponentially harder, more difficult situation to deal with than it was before. So same way with if you said multiple attackers, how would you handle multiple attackers? Well, it's not just that you employ different tactics. It's that if you can't decently fight one person then don't dream that you could ever handle yourself against two people or three people so you know i think that people's approach to self-defense needs to be a little bit more divorced from movies and science fiction and you know a little bit more reality based and and things that have been proven to work in a fight on one-on-one like hand-to-hand combat situations so anyway long route to answer that question i hope that (laughs) did something no that was a good answer but see uh, you know, one thing I sort of noticed with like uh, the sort of uh, iffy, sort of air quotes, iffy sort of martial arts techniques, the ones you'd raise an eyebrow to or be like, man, that's a that's a bit fucking stupid there is if the, <laughs> if the I'm not trying to be mean or generalized, but if the person doing the video is like fucking morbidly obese, I'm like, call me crazy. Mm. But like uh, if you're morbidly obese, like if you look like Steven Seagal, I'm not really in any. Uh, in any rush to learn self-defense or any techniques from you because you know yeah. just call me call me crazy right and so that yeah that's that's how you get uh, a lot of those guys that are um you know showing like a lot of the pressure point stuff like george doman you know like george doman is probably the the king of the bullshit out there and it's crazy because i i, I promised that you know that that guy could uh he, he probably has seminars going on right now you know he, he could probably set up a seminar tomorrow and pack the house uh there's a guy that's, he's even more uh, popular overseas, especially Germany and stuff and, and France, but his name's Fred Mastro. And I, I don't even give a shit about like saying his name anymore. I'm not trying to be polite. The, the stuff that he shows now, if you put it into a Liam Neeson movie, it would, it would look awesome. You know, you, you have Jason Bourne do his stuff. It looks really cool. The problem is he's not selling it as choreography. The problem is that he's selling it as his his Mastro defense system, where he he goes on and he shows these ridiculous things, and he has his uki up there is just like completely overselling the choreography of it. It's like you know he he kicks him in the ankle and the guy just collapses, and then he hits him with these ridiculous uh, 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 obscure kind of like strikes that you know the guy just crumbles underneath his hands, and it's like man that this. This does such a disservice for anyone in the, the, the industry of showing self-defense and fighting to the general populace, you know, and that, that's something that I take very personally because it's like I said before, I mean, I'm, I'm, I care primarily like above everything else. I, I love every aspect of, of jujitsu, of, of martial arts, honestly, if we're, if we're, you know, being more broad, but self-defense, it should be kind of at the heart of of all of it so to, to me to me in my opinion so when i see stuff like that it's like man that just sets us back you know that's just that, that sets back the whole 
the whole thing. Mm. Now that makes perfect sense. Like, see, I wouldn't have much of an issue with these people if they just, I know that they have to make money, they have mouths to feed and shit, you know, they have bills to pay. If they just sold it as like fight choreography or guys, here's something to do. If you're doing like a movie scene, you want to make a really cool movie fight scene. That'd be perfectly fine because, you know, that you could, the, yeah. the, the, like you said, those fucking fight scenes, they do look pretty cool and they're entertaining. They're not realistic yeah. in any fucking way, but they're entertaining. That's the point, to be entertaining. Right. But like the fact that they're selling it as, oh yeah, self-defense, this for life and death shit. Like, yeah, uh, you're fucking, this stupid shit is going to get people injured, A, and could get some people fucking killed if they think, they, if they believe it, you know, they try to yeah. use it in a bad scenario. They could get fucked up and they're responsible for that because they're peddling bullshit. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, because the thought has occurred to me before, it's like, it's not unlike, say, the music industry, <laughs> you know, so, so it's, you, you see people that you would um, possibly call sellouts in, in the music industry, right? You have this person who makes a certain like genre of music, and then they get, they get popular. Now, so it, it is possible, though, that they stay consistent and they get popular and they start making all kinds of money they start selling you know um all kinds of you know selling out venues and and you know becoming like a, a huge like international success and everything else well so that's you know it's it's possible that they stay consistent with you know what they originally started on um or it's possible that they changed based on what their industry or you know their management or their you know their their base told them that they should be doing and they changed it and that's how they gained their popularity so i mean it's um and i think that you see that a lot of times because uh and and i and i get it i get it from the end that you know i i've, I've become popular for a certain niche element of what i do and I've seen like some of the interactions, I've seen some of the reactions to some of the stuff that I've taught in, in seminars and videos and classes and everything else and, and people's reactions to it. And I've noticed people respond to this, people respond to that. But if I'm not careful about, you know, I need to keep at the heart of things that are functional, things that are practical, things that are, are true to what's you know going to work and be best to benefit on a, on a smaller scale, let's say that you know that if this brand new student comes in and says, hey, I was on YouTube last night and I saw this move called the Gogo Plata and I want to learn that today. <laughs> and they're, they're paying you for this private lesson. Then a lot of people's inclination is going to be to say, okay, cool. I know how to do the Gogo Plata. I'll show you Gogo Plata. But when you take into consideration this person's been training for six weeks and they don't know how to pass the fucking guard and <laughs> then it's like, okay, careful <laughs> because you can't just have this person come in and pay you and say, teach me this, teach me that, if you really want to help this person the best that you can. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. So I think that that's where uh, some of those, those, those things originate, maybe. I, I don't know. Oh, man, fucking, I've been training for three years. I don't fuck with Gogo Platters. So where does, he, <laughs> where does he get off saying, oh, yeah, I'm brand new, but I want to Gogo Platter people. Right. I'm like, man, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I mean, it, it happens all the time. Google Plot is a perfect thing to use in this example, too, because it's like such a um, it's one of the first like fancy moves. I, I guess you could probably change that for beer and bolo these days. But, you know, it's those are those are kind of interchangeable things. <laughs> mm. uh, OK, so guys, 
We've reached a segment of the podcast I like to call around the specifics, just a bunch of random questions, some about jiu-jitsu, some aren't about jiu-jitsu. So, do you want to do around the specifics, Eli? Sounds great. Yep, yep. So, Eli, <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your favorite gi in your collection, if you have one? Currently, um, it is my Black Deferma gi. It's got like a name to it, but I, I don't know. The only gis I wear are Deferma because that's my sponsor. Um, but my, my black with a red trim Deferma gi is, is my favorite currently. Mm. Uh, see, I'm kind of curious because, uh, guys, see, Eli has like an, uh, his like, what's a profile picture on Skype? is like uh, mm. him in this one gi, this uh I see this gi like it's uh, the whole oh, time, yeah. and like the the older guys, it's like UFKC or something. What is the DFKC, deal with that? Yeah, UFKC. Yeah, yeah, DFKC is the um, it's Deferma Kimono Company. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so back in uh, 2011, I think it was 2010 or 2011. I I'd never gotten a custom gi before, and um, I had a friend. I was interested in doing it because I just. Um, I just kind of decided to, for different reasons, come up with like kind of the night jujitsu moniker. And the reason for that is, is not because I was trying to, um, you know, like be prior, uh, like uh, proprietary about anything or whatever. It was just kind of to delineate like my brand and, and to have kind of like a, a moniker to like operate under. Right. So I came up with this logo and it was like the night, like the horse, like the, you know, night chess piece kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I designed it and everything. And I was like, I want to get like a, a custom gi. And I had a couple people recommend Deferma and it was a, it was a pretty new company back then. And so I contacted him and uh, Ricardo, the guy that owns the company, super nice guy. And we've gotten to be really close friends since then. Uh, and this is, you know, again, this is about 10 years ago. And um, he made me a custom gi, and it was just extremely personal through the entire process. Like he kept me like in loop, so you know I was I was really happy to 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 wear it and to rep that gi. And then, you know, like a year later, he asked me to become a like a, a sponsored athlete of theirs. And at the time, I wasn't even competing much. I was like, oh man, I you know I've I've competed like once at black belt. You know, it's like I don't know how much I'll I'll be competing. You know, to to rep it. He was like, man you know, there's, there's other ways you can rep it, you know, and, and you've, you've already done a great job so far and blah, blah, blah. So it's, you know, it, it turned into a whole thing and a whole relationship and I've stuck with that guy ever since. And, and uh, <laughs> I, I like him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he's, he's good people. It's a, it's a great company. And uh, yeah. And it's, it, they're not out trying to compete with like show your role or anything like that. And that's, that's kind of why I like it. You know, it's, I've had, I've had other like gee companies that have approached me about, becoming uh like a representative or you know whatever of theirs and it's it's not the biggest priority of mine honestly uh, it's you know there, there's lots of geek companies i like i love i love lots of different ones but that's uh yeah that's my favorite my favorite company because they've the relationship i have with them and not not to diminish the things that make it important i mean obviously it's good quality stuff i wouldn't like rep it if it were crap even if we had a great relationship <laughs> <laughs> no man see uh every anyone who makes like has a popular jiu-jitsu like instagram account knows what i'm gonna say now you always get hit up by fucking pakistani gi manufacturers like <laughs> hello my friend we are manufacturer of great quality bjj karate and muay thai gear bloody yeah. bloody blue and man <laughs> it's just gotten to a point that every time they text me i just troll the fuck out of them like 
a recent example is I know I was annoying this guy and like because he was he kept texting me about his gi manufacturing stuff. I'm like, man, I identify as a 69th degree pink belt, so you should give me free. You should give me a free free lifetime supply of gis. Yeah, Are you always like the, so. The best thing you can do with those guys, if you, if you if you feel like investing the time and not just tell them to fuck off, the best thing you can do is like, oh, can you send me um, a sample of a rash guard in this size, a sample of some shorts in this size, a sample of a gi in this size, some sample belts and this, like all these samples that they have to ship you for free that you have no intention of ever getting back to them. You know, uh, it, it's, I, I don't know, maybe that's not ethical of me to say that, but, uh, they, they, they troll you so bad. Yeah. I'd get those like all the damn time. And honestly, your syntax was way too good for those to, that to actually be a real message it's more like please sir number one we are <laughs> manufacture gear of mma top quality oh we we make we we make good gear good gear mma gear yes yes good gear yes yes <laughs> that's sort of th- i i i know that was offensive that was a bad impression but guys yeah if you if you've seen like you these were... messages they're horrible yeah, you were you were almost flirting with some racism there. I think was, uh, so. You get, you got to be careful. Oh <laughs> uh, man, I I don't care, man. It's all in good fun, you know. I don't give yeah. a shit. They but, know what they sound like. They know what you know, they sound like. You know, there's nothing wrong with speaking broken English, but you know, there's something wrong with being a scummy, scammy gi manufacturer. That's that's where I'm. That's why I'm making fun of them. <laughs> that's right. We were just talking about really uh, horrible accents before we started on this segment so yeah. <laughs> oh guys okay for all the denizens of ireland and all my friends i train with limerick you all know the pain i go through on a daily basis enduring the limerick accent you all know what the deal is i'm not gonna say repeat i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fuck your ears in this podcast by doing an impression of it guys <laughs> so eli is there anything <laughs> is there anything in particular you're, you're trying to Im- implement into your game recently like is there anything you're working on right now um man yeah well uh it's tough i guess the the my my answer for that for the longest time has been just leg stuff you know i mean like like everybody, i i hate to be boring like you know most everybody in 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 bjj and be like yeah just trying to work the leg lock game but it's hard to ignore it you know so um you know i've got some entries that I've, i'm working on um and that's that's really about it i mean you know it's it's just looking at how to get a, a better kind of like uh inside control i've been watching a lot more um lachlan giles uh like lately um lately being like two years <laughs> but he, you know just just looking at at how incredibly um intricate his 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 structure of how he creates these like control positions these entanglements that he does because i mean i think that he's the in my opinion he's the most brilliant um leg locker in the game i think that his his approach to jujitsu as a whole um in the competitive realm especially is 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 absolutely brilliant but um you know that that's been that's been one of my big focuses. the The other thing too, though, uh, is looking at a lot of Ryan Hall. So Ryan Hall and Lachlan Giles, like looking at the like comparison and and contrasting those styles um, in a lot of ways. That's that's been my focus for a while now. That's that's from you know that now. So I have to like kind of walk with like one foot in in different worlds a lot of the time because I I have to also like 
keep pretty sharp and and relevant on the self-defense aspect and so that's a whole different kind of not not a a whole different approach but in in a lot of ways it's a very disparate kind of approach from like the the sportive aspect of it so um but yeah that's that's (laughs) like in my game in my personal practice and and training and everything i would say probably that that is what i've been working on more than anything yeah the the positions that let lachlan identifies as the most dominant for leg entanglements, uh, I think, are. It, I mean, it's, it's 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 pretty different, man. It's 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 different than what a lot of the, like the the Donaher guys are doing, in a lot of ways. You know, there's some similarities, and principally, it's like you know some very similar things. But it's interesting how he identifies kind of like the placement. I I don't know. I don't want to get like too much into specifics, and, and especially not with my limited knowledge of it at this point. But it's it's really interesting to me. I also mm. have been like in, to watch a lot of uh, Robert Deagle too. Um, his yeah, he, it's it's been like he he kind of he mesmerizes me with some of his transitions a lot of the time. Like he, it's really cool watching some of his transitions. Not not only between like different entanglements and entries and finishes, but also like watching maybe a transition he'll make from an entanglement to like a back take. Like that, that that's been fascinating to me. So. Yeah, Robert Deagle has been one I've been watching a lot lately too. Mm. Oh man, I'll tell you something funny about Robert Deagle. See, I was ta- I was like talking to him on Instagram. I like uh, say he sent me a question because one of his friends was on the podcast, and I was like, "Oh, dude, Robert Deagle, man, uh, I saw you on the Grappin Central podcast. There, it was a good episode." And like, he's he has a background in philosophy, so I was like, "Oh, dude, do mm. you have a, can, can I ask you a philosophy question?" He's like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> And uh, you know, you know what's going. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give you a bit of background. There's this uh, philosopher from ancient Greece called Diogenes of Sinope. And let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you something about fucking Diogenes. He lived in a yes. fucking. You know, you know that Diogenes. He's crazy. Yeah, we man. we we have a, a little like a two foot skeleton, like an anatomical skeleton in our academy named Diogenes. So, oh, Diogenes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you you know where this is going. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, uh, do you know Diogenes and all that? And fucking, he schooled Plato this one time because I, <laughs> I, I had this little animation like uh, from this one ch- YouTube channel I watched. I like sent it to him as like, oh, uh, because Plato, de- like, there was a big philosophical pining of the day saying, how do you define a man in the simplest terms? And uh, what's it? Plato said, a featherless biped. And so Diogenes plucked all the feathers off a chicken and brought it to Plato and was like, okay, by your definition, this is a man. And that was like a joke, a joke video about that. And I sent that to Robert Deagle. Needless to say, he didn't reply to me after that. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's disappointing, man. I would have, I would have loved to have heard his response. That's, uh, no, that's I, think it's be, I think it's because I leaned into it with like he thought I was being genuine about like an intrigue in philosophy, which, you know, I'm, be, I'm into like the schools of stoicism and stuff. I listen to like the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. I mean, maybe I should have led. Maybe I should have led with that. But I don't know. <laughs> I you know uh, yeah. he's he's a good dude. I like Robert Deagle. <laughs> yeah, man, he's he's fucking good. And so yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, what would you say was your favorite TV show when you were growing up? Whew, man, um, it depends on what you call growing up. Like, because I mean, at different stages, there were there were different things. Uh, I think. Oh man, uh, let's start at six years old. Um, uh, Super Friends, Justice League. Yeah. That was a like when I came home from kindergarten. That was what I watched. <laughs> I mean, we can go on from there. Transformers, GI Joe, 
you know, um, then getting a little older. I don't know, man. It's it's really sad to actually look back on it because it was mostly cartoons. So yeah, um, and then it was mostly movies, you know, and it was martial arts related stuff. Mm. So you know, like watching The Last Dragon. There there was a lot of days I would come home from school, and I had a VHS tape. Um, this is probably like between ages like nine, ten, eleven. I watched The Last Dragon like hundreds of times. And, um, you know, then growing up more like the best of the best, you know, this is, I don't know, it's just always martial arts stuff for some reason. Mm. So, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty one dimensional, man. <laughs> oh, Eli, see, you brought up Transformers there. I just want to know mm-hmm. which, which series was it? Was it like the original one or was it like one of the many fucking other series is because there's one that so many people they sleep on, but it was easily the best Transformers series. I don't know if you noticed one. It was uh, Beast Wars. That was a great one. I remember, I remember Beast Wars, but I was like a little bit older to not get into it so much. But I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Beast Wars was kind of a spawn off of like you know whenever they had like the dinosaur, the the dinosaur like Autobots, right? Mm. Um, you know, because they had like Grimlock and, you know, so I, I think one of the first Transformer action figure things I ever had was the Triceratops. I don't remember his name, but then, you know, you had, had Grimlock and then you had, there was a, t- a pterodactyl one. And, but yeah, man, I'm so old that I remember Transformers as a short uh, cartoon segment on the Bozo show um in the united states like so so there was this show like called the bozo show it was based was on, it with, um, with bozo the clown bozo the clown bozo the clown <laughs> and they would have they, they would have cartoon segments and one of them was transformers and they would show it's the most random shit it's like a, a weird lucid dream when i think back on it but it was <laughs> it, it was like they they would show you know maybe a a, a minute and a half to two minute clip of a transformers cartoon and then, you know, it's like I found out later you could watch like the whole cartoon somewhere else. I don't know what kind of agreement or business arrangement they had with the Bozo show and Transformers, but I do remember that. So, uh, but yeah, I, I was a, a big Transformers uh, guy, and G.I. Joe guy. And I remember trading all my Transformers uh, with my friend Jimmy for all of his G.I. Joes. So I traded about, you know. 15 transformers for about 120 gi joes at the time i'm still not sure who got screwed out of that like Um, man it depends were they like medium-sized transformers big ones or like small ones or was it variation i i had some that were no joke i mean i there was there was an original optimus prime in that bunch i'm not gonna lie and there was uh uh yeah yeah i remember a a buddy of mine had omega supreme which was easily at the time the coolest one that you could have there was a uh who else ultra magnus was in there i didn't have megatron but i had galvatron oh dude yeah i got him for uh, christmas one time this reminds me i'm gonna make my i'm gonna force my daughter like clockwork orange style to sit down and watch the original transformers movie because she's gonna object to it but you know i'm gonna force her to watch that oh man see Man, it sounded more and more by the second that you got the short end of that straw, unless you got like yeah. so many yeah. good GI Joes. Like uh, I, I wasn't into GI Joe, but like try and say, try, try and salvage this, try and convince me you didn't get the short end of that. <laughs> okay, so, so now in in the, in the like GI Joe lot. Now, granted, there were a hundred and a hundred and twenty or so GI Joes. Now, some of these were like the original uh, Cobra Commander, 
there was a Destro in there. There was, um, let's see, who was it? Flint was in there. There was a uh, damn, um, who was it? Scarlet. Uh, 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 what was the, the chick from Cobra? The Baroness, she was in there. Had, still had her crossbow. You know, and they, they still had their weapons and stuff too. So that, that's a bonus. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. At the time, it seemed like a good idea, but I, I mean, shit, man, I was I was eleven years old. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's this one last question about the Transformers thing before I move on. Did, right. did you did you give away a combiner? A combiner? Yeah, like oh, uh, you, oh you know. Yeah, uh, man, I wish oh. you hadn't reminded me of that. Yeah, it was. I had the Constructicons. Yeah, they formed. They formed Devastator and. Uh, I was, uh, I'm not happy about that. Um, not proud of it. So yeah, that, that was, a, that was the name, right? Devastator. Is that the name of the, uh, construction? Yeah. Bonds? Man, yeah. E- Eli, I don't, <laughs> I don't think you could have gotten more screwed over unless you yeah. gave away, unless you had a fucking Unicron as well. And all the, <laughs> like, that's the only way you got, okay, fair enough. Did, the GI Joe's had no. all the weapons and stuff and there was like 120 of them, but man, no. oh my gosh. Now did, did they have, did, was there, was there a Unicron at like, like toy? Was there a Unicron? Uh, I do recall seeing one, but that might've been from a different series. I don't know if there was like, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know much about Transformers anymore. I, I just, that, I, I feel like that would have had to have been about the size of an apartment complex. Like, I mean, that would have, <laughs> Like to to keep it even, because like, I know that uh, 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 Omega Supreme. This has gotten to be a easily the most nerded out podcast I've ever done so far. But the <laughs> the, the Omega Supreme was not at scale at all. I mean, it was a city. He was supposed to be basically a city. So, and and if you compared him to like you know Optimus Prime, it was like you know he was maybe like seven or eight times his size. That's that's not you know quite comparable, but. Uh, Unicron. I don't. I never saw how they could possibly do that. So yeah. Now Ooh, man. I did have a friend who had the uh, the GI Joe aircraft carrier, and that was like I I didn't ever get that. I never got that. But um, I was always fascinated with the idea of that. Hmm. Okay, guys. I'm. I swear we're going to move on from Transformers <laughs> immediately. Immediately after this point, I still have one in my room. I still have the fucking uh, what's it? In, in Beast Wars, like, the final form of Optimus Primal, he's, like, this oh. robot ape that turns into, like, a humanoid <laughs> robot-looking thing. It's called Optimal Optimus. It's so cool, man. Optimal I'll send you a picture. Th- I'll send you this fucking a picture of this one later, Eli. It is so cool. I fucking... This, yeah. like... I, and it's this weird thing called Transmetal where it's, like, techno-organic and shit. It's fucking cool. I love this one. That is definitely uh, like a, like after my generation of those, but uh, and that that kind of makes us like that's like a throwback. The the uh, the organic metal thing is like a throwback to our conversation the previously about Robert Patrick from Terminator <laughs> Two. This, this whole uh, the whole thing comes full circle back to Robert Patrick for some reason. Ah <laughs> uh, man, I wonder if he voiced any of the Transformers in any of the movies. We'll have to look into it. But finally. What was your what was your first video game console or what was your favorite game in it? And if you say it was a Transformers game, I'm going to reach through the screen and slap you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely was not that. Uh, my first <sighs> video game console. Ah, I know I had an Atari, but I even before Atari came out. Like this like this is getting really bad. My my first video game I ever played was on a a Commodore computer, I believe. 
And this is before mm. floppy disks. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100 years old, guys. I swear to God. But Oh, my God. I, 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 this was 1982. 1981 or 82. And um, I remember we had a computer. And you had to put you – it looked like a tape player. You put a cassette tape into it, and that was a video game. And you had to, like, know how to prompt it to come up. And the first video game I had at a home computer was called Forbidden Forest. Right. So the actual like video game consoles, I think I had an Atari. I had an, an original Nintendo entertainment system, not in 64 or any of that fancy stuff. An original like Super Mario Brothers one, like, inter, you know, Nintendo system um, had a Sega Dreamcast, I think. Ooh, man. Yeah. Sega Genesis, Sega Dreamcast. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, I had most of them, you know, until I was about a teenager. So, <laughs> man, I I never fucking played a Sega Dreamcast in my life. I don't know why. Like, it, I know it came out the same year I was born, and like, you know, Sega stopped making consoles, so I just I just slept mm-hmm. on that for ages. But like, I do have a big collection. I have like, let's see, I'll I'll rattle off my collection real quick. Okay, it's a PS one, PS two, PS three, PS four, original Xbox, <laughs> the big fat dumb one. A few Xbox nice. 360s because they're fucking shit and they, their longevity yes. is bad. Uh, yeah. Let's see, N64, uh, Nintendo Wii, Wii U, GameCube. Uh, GameCube was awesome. Did some of the games that were fucking amazing. Yeah, it and, was uh, underrated. Yeah, yeah, very underrated. Like, I, I don't like the controller. I hate that there's a missing like bumper on it. Like, there's mm. like three buttons instead of being like, it's a bit like lopsided in my opinion. And then uh, mm-hmm. I have a whole bunch of portable ones I could go on and tirade about that. But uh, Eli, <laughs> let's, uh, what just, is there any movie that you describe? <laughs> is there any movie that you would describe as underrated in your opinion? Like it just doesn't get its uh, its its uh, what's it? Its fair share of the love. The love. Oh, man. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, but I, you're gonna have to be more specific than that. I just, this like that's. You got to go by genre. Okay. Okay. Martial arts movies. Martial arts you love movies. Them. Yeah, that that are underrated. Uh damn. Uh man. Let's see. Let's see. It's hard to tell. I, uh, the Last Dragon is the best martial arts movie of all time. I'm still convinced. Um, the a lot of Seagal's movies, like early movies were excellent movies like they really were like they he really changed he did he did a lot for martial arts he really did to like change our perception of martial arts because he wasn't just all van damme style like doing crazy aerial super kicks and everything and and you know like best of the best was a great movie and the first one anyway and you know that that was great um but even though it was all like taekwondo based you know um but you know steven seagal really showed more even though it was quote unquote aikido which it totally wasn't he showed a lot of grappling kind of stuff you know at least standing grappling you know locks and and breaking arms and shit like that that was it was just so different you know so i mean he he I, i don't have a ton of respect for him as a martial artist but as as a film actor bringing martial arts onto the big screen i've got a ton of respect for what he did as far as that you know, so I mean that 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 was all good. Um, I think it'd be easier for me to say like overhyped movies that were not good. There was a Ooh. movie called called Red Belt. Like I don't know if you remember that movie, but mm. there's a movie called Red Belt 
and I had such big hopes for it because it had a great, I forget the guy's name that was the main star of it, but he's a phenomenal actor. And Dan Inosanto was actually in the movie um, just toward the end, didn't really have a big role or anything. But, you know, there were some other awesome people that worked on the set of it. But it was just a piece of shit movie. It was all supposed to be about about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And it was just a piece of shit movie. Um, you know, there and there, there's been several like that that were just overhyped. Most of Michael Jaya White's martial arts movies were just... Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that guy is a, a phenomenal like martial arts genius or something, but yeah, he's his movies just really bad in my my opinion. Mostly, um, Never Back Down was maybe the the least horrible. Spawn was, you know, uh, that's that's more comic book related. Anyway, but yeah, there, there's. Uh, I would say that if there were going to be a prerequisite movie for you to train with me for you to watch it would be the last dragon <laughs> mm. oh man uh so you know something funny like the first bruce lee movie i ever saw was uh, enter the dragon and like yes. uh do you, want, do you want to know something really funny about a little bit of a uh, background in it you know what uh, the guy he just fucking destroys with the nunchucks just that one extra yeah yeah that's yeah. fucking that's fucking jackie chan that he hit with the nunchucks in that one scene oh shit really yeah, and how like did, actually, how did I not know that? I thought I knew yeah. everything about that damn movie. Wow. Well, that was That's that was amazing. when Jackie Chan was just an extra. He was an up and coming guy. That was before he, <laughs> and, you know. And there's actually a funny story uh, behind the scenes because, like, uh, the first time Bruce Lee, they were doing that scene, and he Bruce Lee hit him with the nunchucks. Like, uh, Jackie kind of slipped and fell over and just got panned out on the floor. And like, <laughs> you know, he wasn't he wasn't like all there like he wasn't like doing the thing right and then like uh, every other t- like he actually got hurt and then bruce like oh shit i actually hurt that guy and then like uh <laughs> then when they had to film the scenes again every time uh, like, bruce would like give him the fucking eye like are you ready this time just just to fuck with him to make sure he'd oh, do the scene hilarious. right <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah the yeah that that's that's a really i've got i have to go back and watch that now i mean because like that that's one that I didn't want to bring up because like, obviously that's one of the most uh, uh, epic martial arts films of all time, but it deserves any praise that it got, you know, because it was such an amazing film and, and um, it, on every level for, especially at the time, I mean, you have to consider like the time frame and everything too. And, you know, like the first scene, I mean, he, he hits like a, a leg scissor, like arm bar kind of weird. I mean, he's doing grappling. He's wearing MMA gloves before they existed. You know, they're fighting in Speedos looking like Pancrase style. I mean, like Bruce, Bruce Lee, um, he he was definitely uh, one of the most innovative, like forward thinking martial artists of all time. Somehow he's still overrated, but he, he, he was still one of the most like brilliant innovators of martial arts of all time and did did probably more to advance, you know, martial arts at the time than anyone else in history. Mm. Oh man, uh, I'll tell you something. One, one, you, you definitely know this, but Bruce, but for anyone who doesn't know, he, he had like a, bo- a, bo- a punching bag in his apartment that was filled with metal shavings, and he'd just go crazy on it when his friends yeah. were over and they think it was just a regular like punching bag. You're like, oh, guys, do you want to try hitting it for a minute? Like, okay. And they just see him go crazy on it, but he's used to hitting like a bag full of metal shavings. Yeah. They yeah. don't know that it's a fucking super duper heavy bag, and they hit it like full force <laughs> and like, Oh fuck! I think I broke my wrist or something. <laughs> that fucking hurts. I see. I've heard that, and I, I, 
I don't know, like, like I've, I've wondered if that were, were like an urban myth or not, or if that were like really substantiated somehow with evidence. So I, I, I'm still a little dubious about it, but it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to tell because like, there's, there's plenty of like these Superman stories about Bruce Lee that turn out to be uh, actually accurate, you know, but you know, other ones that are like, uh, you know, he, maybe he couldn't shoot laser beams out of his eyes and stuff like that, you know, so. It's, it's tough. I see. Out of all the stories I've heard, that one doesn't seem like super far fetched. It's not out sure, of yeah, a possibility yeah. that you yeah, could fill a bag absolutely. of metal shavings and just get used to hitting it. And you know, you you know, you know what I mean. But see, uh, yeah. <laughs> here's one. See, what was your most embarrassing injury you've ever got? Whether it be a jiu-jitsu injury or a non-jiu-jitsu injury, just the way you got injured was just so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> um, let's see. I have an, I have a most embarrassing moment. Uh, I don't know if it's like an injury other than my ego, but no. um, <laughs> like, cause I, you know, most of my, my injuries, you know, it's like, I don't know. I've, I've uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's not a lot of like legit injuries I've had that were like super embarrassing. Um, the, the most embarrassing moment I've had um, was I was, at a training like uh, a big training event and i was rolling with a guy and i was a white belt i was a white belt i hadn't got my blue belt and um we were there and uh, uh grandmaster elio was there Jorge and gracie was there hoist was there and there was about 70 or 80 people at this thing and we were all rolling on one of the days that we were there this big kind of camp and uh, I hooked up with this guy who was a lot bigger and stronger than I was. I was about, I think I was like 19 at the time. And um, we started and, you know, we, he shot his hands in my collar so hard and so fast, like that it, it, you couldn't even really say that he like choked me out as much as he knocked me out. <laughs> Cause like, so it, you know, he wound up, at, I remember though, him throwing his hands inside my, my collar, like really fast, really hard. And me, you know, basically like pulling him into my guard and then thinking, well, he's inside my guard, so he can't choke me out. So I'm safe. And that was like the last thought that I had, like until I woke up and Hoyce's wife is holding my feet, you know, like up in the air and uh, and Horian is standing next to her and Alio is standing beside them and basically looking at me like is this kid alive, you know? And then, you know, Hoist is like uh, over a little bit away, is like rolling with somebody and is kind of looking over, like asking what happened to me. And I was like, okay, well, this is, this is hell. So, you know, I've died and this is what hell is like. So <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what happens. Yeah. Oh, That's my, my most, most embarrassing uh, moment in, in jujitsu for sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I was injured beyond, you know, just, uh, hum- humiliated and horrified. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, see, uh, yeah. if you could ban, if you could ban any guard or position from competition, what would you ban and why? <laughs> oh man, that's already. I mean, it's not already banned. I mean, shit, I don't like. I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know, man. I'm not. I'm not so much for like making more rules than there already are. I think there's so many rules like right now that, that, that 
could be revised you know the, the knee rethink could really be reevaluated like severely a lot of the a lot of the different uh, uh rule sets can be reevaluated i think that um you know there's some there's some clothing things that i think that you know could be reevaluated too so i don't know if i was going to make another rule like an extra rule then shit i have no idea i'm i'm perfectly fine with all all things legal in most tournaments you know so uh maybe maybe some of the interlacing of the fingers like I, like that that always kind of freaks me out a little bit you see a lot of the interlacing the fingers and like a, a lot of tie-ups and standing and everything so uh but fuck I, I i probably wouldn't outlaw anything that's not already illegal mm. oh you know fair enough leave it as is but see yeah. oh here's a good one can you do any impressions <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh no not not well i can't uh, now so th this is a story that we talked about like before we started the actual like the recording process today so i'm just full disclosure i talked about visiting with uh brandon mccaffron down at uh 10th planet decatur and brandon mccaffron if, if the people that are listening don't know he's he's an amazing human being period first of all um he's a 10th planet black belt and just absolutely brilliant martial artist and does to my knowledge to his most amazing impressions are Jean-Jacques Machado and Hicks and Gracie. And it's, it, those are both just like phenomenal uh, impressions that he does now. So we did, we, while I was down there, the, the Tyson Fury and uh, let's see, who was it? It was Tyson Fury versus shit. What was the most recent fight? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, we were, we were watching boxing all night and there was a UFC going on at the same time. We did a fight companion, and um, I don't know how the subject got brought up other than maybe Mike Tyson was in the audience, and uh, <laughs> was, we were talking about Mike Tyson, and I said something in, in Mike Tyson's voice. It was something like, you know, like, stop talking about me um, and design a punch to make you livable. <laughs> and... and <laughs> And so he said, he said, you do a pretty good Mike Tyson impression. I'm like, well, it's not any, anything compared to your Hicks and Gracie impression. And so he started doing his Hicks and Gracie impression and, and challenging Mike Tyson. So I had to respond as Mike Tyson in, in turn and say, you know, you, your family hasn't fought any decent boxers since, <laughs> since UFC won. And it was Art Zimson. And he only wore, wore one glove during the fight. So he didn't know how to box. And uh, so it, it just, it went back and forth like this. And it, it was, uh, it was not as funny as, as it, it, it should have been, but it was, it was, it was pretty damn funny in the moment. So it was, it was a good time. Oh man, see, guys, I haven't, <laughs> I, I haven't busted this one out in a while, but I'm gonna mm. bring back the Bernardo one just for now. <clears throat> Bernardo, oh, for awesome. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, man, I hope I do it right. I hope I do it well now because I haven't done it well. <clears throat> guys, huge awe for me. I'm here with Eli Knight, guys. Eli Knight is the best <laughs> fucking Mike Tyson impression in this side of jujitsu, <laughs> guys. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I was, was kind of terrible near the end, but you know, I've, I haven't that's, done that's, it a bit. That's that's pretty good. That that's if if Bernardo were Irish, that's exactly what he would sound like. That's pretty good. Yeah, but Bernardo is the reason that I can't say, uh, "Hey guys," and that's what I say every time that I break people from training. And or okay, guys, that's what I say. So it's like okay, guys, people are training. Okay, guys. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, guys. Okay, guys. Hold okay. on for me. Well, this huge is just honor. Huge funny, honor. Huge. Yeah, I'm. I'm going back to to uh, visit those guys uh, in a few weeks. I'm going back in September. 12 to record a bjj fanatics so i uh, hopefully i'll get to run into him while i'm up there oh man another one uh guys like i said i'll have his uh, eli's uh bjj fanatic stuff sort of uh linked in the show notes so if you're interested you know where to find it that's it so eli man i can't read my own fucking writing sometimes what's it uh oh yeah <laughs> man do you believe in aliens um like illegal aliens or no, like, like extra, oh, so ter- extraterrestrials. Extraterrestrials, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I do. I, I, I definitely believe in like uh, intelligent life from other planets on other planets. I don't know um, if and when and why they would want to come here to visit, but I, I, I believe in life on on other planets as a possibility. And it's, it's like it's crazy now because you know with with the government like uh, revealing more and more information about you know like. UFOs and materials from that aren't, um, you know, from this planet and everything else, and um, it, especially at the time that it comes in, like this worldwide crazy ass pandemic, and you know, it's like, hey guys, let's take a time out from this whole COVID nineteen thing. And uh, by the way, here's who shot Tupac, and uh, aliens really exist. So discuss <laughs> among yourselves. So yeah, it's but uh, you know, I've I've uh, I've always kind of felt like it's kind of. Uh, silly in my opinion to think that we're the only intelligent life in the entire universe so you know now see my one question about aliens is let's just say there's a 10 foot tall race of super white looking aliens they're like spindly and they have six arms growing up their butt cheeks how do they grapple each other what does that look like oh that would be amazing yeah so i mean and that's that's the kind of the uh the basis of the uh 10th planet system right <laughs> because the, the the idea of like the tenth planet is uh, you know Eddie Bravo I think was probably like having a conversation with like Joe Rogan or somebody like completely baked out of their mind and they were like you know there's there's this supposed like tenth planet in the solar system called Nibiru and like what if there's aliens on it and you know what would their jujitsu be like if they had jujitsu on that planet and that's like from my understanding that's how the term 10th planet was born because for a long time they called themselves the nibiru warriors of 10th planet so I, <laughs> uh, now i may be getting a lot of that confused i'm not like a 10th planet historian but i remember reading that story at some point and i think it's a pretty cool story so yeah <laughs> oh my god man that that is just the perfect origin story in my opinion that is glorious uh eli what would you say is the number one thing on your bucket list if you have one Hmm. Man. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like I could, there, there's so many things there's like, there's, there's so many things, but I mean, I would have to probably, uh, I'd have to probably keep it about my, my daughter, you know, I mean, not to like make things all like serious and, and, and emotional and everything, but I mean, it, the most important life events that I've ever had and the most important ones that I want to have in the future all have to center around her. And so, you know, I mean, it, it's, you know, everything that I want to see her go through in life, that's that's what I want. Uh, that's like number one through 50 on my bucket list. And then, you know, I start getting selfish after that. Like, you know, I, 
I've never been, I've never actually been to Brazil. You know, I would like to do that. I'd like to, you know, travel. I've never left the continental United States. I've been to Canada and Mexico, but other than that, I've, I've always been landlocked. And so, you know, I'd like to travel more. Um, you know, there's people I would like to train with. You know, I'd love to train with Marcelo Garcia. Um, you know, I, I, you know, there's, there's lots of things on my bucket list, man. I couldn't narrow it down too much, but before any of that, it's just, it's all about, you know, making sure that my, my, you know, watching everything that happens in my daughter's life before all that. So, mm. uh, Eli, this is a, this is definitely going to be a good one. Peeling back the layers from young Eli. So, man, <laughs> have, have ever have you ever been on a really terrible date? <laughs> uh, I'm sure I have. Um, man, it's been a long time since I've like dated though. So, uh, a terrible date. Um, man, that's a tough one. Yeah, not. I, I I don't have any good stories. I don't have any good stories to make it entertaining or anything. So, but uh, yeah. I mean, I I did. Um, I remember going to when I was a teenager, dating a foreign exchange student from Spain, and um, we went on a double date with a, a good friend of mine and his girlfriend, and we went to a Mexican restaurant, and she is Spanish, and so. There was just a lot of like just you know, she was like Spanish, European Spanish that didn't like Mexicans. <laughs> so it was, like, it, was, it was really uncomfortable, like for for a, a big portion of the evening. Um, it wasn't it wasn't the hor most horrible date, but that was it was one of the ones that I remember being one of the most uncomfortable dating environments I've ever been to. But because I didn't know that you know european spanish people like hated mexicans as a general practice it seems like so it's i wasn't aware of this and it was a bad choice to go to a mexican restaurant so <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, I, I didn't know spanish people hated mexicans that's something that's news to me i remember i had a, a spanish professor uh, professor in college and i remember him saying <laughs> saying that um you know where he was from in spain that they had a saying that that Mexico is one of the most beautiful places in the entire world with only one problem, and it's all the Mexicans. And I was like, "Wow!" Like, that's, <laughs> I don't know if that if that's racist or not. Like, I'm not sure <laughs> if, if you're allowed to say it because you're Spanish. I mean, it would be like a, a a British person saying, "You know, America is amazing, except for all the Americans." I guess it's okay, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I heard this fucking this horrible joke one time, and I must I must say it's it's not really horrible, but it's fuck. I think it's funny. Okay, okay so right. guys, what do you call a, one Mexican on the moon? A problem. What do you call two Mexicans on the moon? A bigger problem. What do you call every Mexican on the moon? Problem solved. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> no, pretty sure, pretty sure that's got to be racist. No, that's got. <laughs> Nah, man, I tell oh you, the, the best thing about being <laughs> Irish, the best thing about being Irish, that we never fucked anyone back in the day, so we get, we actually get a lot, get away with a lot of like racy humor because we never fucked anyone back in the day. That's true, but you guys got fucked with a whole lot, so it's like you, you kind of have it built up. I mean, you, you kind of have it coming to where you can, you can say some pretty, pretty bad stuff about anybody. You know, <laughs> you guys, you, uh, guys, you guys haven't had a, the easiest history. <laughs> Ah, uh, you know, everyone has a cross to bear. I, I, you know, I don't get tied down in it. I never went through that shit, so I don't know. I don't get, it's not a big deal to me. Ahmed, <laughs> uh, if you could time travel to any historical period, where would you go and why? Ooh, um, 
as long as I could leave whenever I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, just just for a visit. Like you yeah. don't have to stay there forever and like be immortal and shit and know what's gonna happen, but you can't change it or something. That's stupid. Just go back for a visit and grab something if you want. I don't know. Yeah, that would be interesting, man. I would want to go back to um, uh, probably like biblical times, you know, just so I could come back and be like, ah, you guys, you guys got this wrong. This is what really happened, you know, or you guys were right. And, you know, this is how it really happened. So, yeah, I'd want to I want to go to like somewhere in, you know, probably like during the time that that Jesus was doing something people have said he's doing you know just to validate just to to experience and see you know like for better for worse you know i'm not gonna explain like my my dog in the fight or anything like that but uh, you know i would like to see um exactly how things went down because you know it's it always um it always like is interesting to me that things are reported a certain way and it's gone through so many years and so many iterations and translations and everything like that, that I would like to, you know, have kind of the, 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 the deep end of the source there. So yeah, probably that, you know, mm-hmm. now if it were martial arts related, I'd like to go back to like feudal era Japan, but from a very safe vantage point, you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, or maybe, maybe just thereafter and meet like Jigoro Kano and, you know, kind of see some of the foundational roots of jujitsu that would be interesting. So there's, there's lots of places that would be interesting to me, but I think if I, if it were going to be the most significant thing, then, you know, I'd probably want to see something like that. So mm. that, now that's, these are all different things from if I were going to, um, travel back in time to like a more recent time period that I would want to like redo on my own life. You know, that's a whole different story. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, so Eli, we got a bit of a moral conundrum here if you're up for it. Yes. Awesome. Would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? Oh, man. Um, That's interesting. Who the hell asked this? <laughs> I <laughs> did, motherfuckers. <laughs> I was like, why does my opinion on this shit even matter? Um, I would say, oh, I'm going to, whatever I say, I'm going to regret saying. But I'm going to go ahead and say cure cancer is what I'm going to say. Mm. No, man. And, see, I love when people get like stressed out about that, and that question oh, because. Yeah. Both of the answers are good things to get rid of. So it's not, you're doing a good thing. It's not like you're, uh, you know, it's not like you're doing a bad thing. It is a tough decision, but you are doing a good thing. So I don't see like, oh man, fuck shit. Oh man, that's a oh, yeah. Well, you, you, you don't, you don't understand what it's like in my head then, because like in my head, I'm like, um, which one of these bad things do I want to allow to continue to happen to humanity? <laughs> that's, that's, that's where I went. I, I wasn't like, you know, how wonderful of a thing is it that I get to do here? I'm like, okay, well, um, what people do I prefer to die in a horrible Ooh. way? <laughs> well, it, it's not like it's not like you're making it worse. That the other problem is staying the same. It's not worsening, sure. but you're completely eradicating this other big problem. So, yeah, you know, that makes sense. You know, this is it's a weird one though, and you know, people. I like I like hearing people's answers on it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna just leave it at cure cancer, and uh, yeah, I'll think about the explanation later for if that mm-hmm. question ever comes up again. <laughs> uh, man, uh, if you became president of Earth, what's the first law you'd enact? 
Hmm. Hmm. If I became president of Earth, the first law that I would enact. Damn. Man, we really took a hard shift on these questions to really deep. Oh uh, man, that 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 always gets people near the end. Like, yeah. oh shit, I thought this was lighthearted and about jujitsu. Right. What the fuck are you asking <laughs> this for? But you know, I, to be fair, I mean, I took it in a, a a deeper direction on you know three questions back when it could have been lighthearted. So it's it's just fair. <laughs> so um, I would say that. Hmm. No pressure, Eli. The whole world's just in your hands. No pressure at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's. I guess that's the thing, right? So, um, ah, president of Earth. Well, if there was a president, if there were to be a president of Earth, I guess the first law that I would enact would be uh, a little bit less of a centralized, like superpower, <laughs> like, like a president of Earth. So probably by. Um, dissolving the concept of president of earth how about that i'll just take it from that route mm. yeah that's a good one because i hate big government so that's the first right answer anyone's ever given on this podcast congratulations nice. Eli. i win yes yeah you yeah. win nothing <laughs> <laughs> i don't know Eli, if, I, if i ever get more rash guards t-shirts or patches in in I'll, I'll definitely send one your way excellent Awesome. <laughs> okay, so man, we've reached the last question. Eli, are you ready for the last question? Don't worry. It, it's only what is the most important lesson you've learned in the early years of jiu-jitsu and martial arts? Just a life lesson you've learned. What's what is it? The best one? Oh. Ooh, man. See, that's an easy um, question compared it? to the last okay. two. Compared to the last yeah. two. I'll be honest, it's not as, that's not as hard, but you know, there's, there's so many valuable lessons that I've learned through. Um, I think that it would probably have to be something along the lines and I'm not sure if I'm going to articulate this the right way, but to find something in life that helps you understand life better, because like, that's one of the biggest things that I, I say is one of the biggest benefits of training jujitsu for me is that is learning like metaphorical examples that help me understand difficult parts of life, you know, because you can always, if you find something that you, you're, you're passionate about that you understand deeply and you understand it fully to, to any extent, like to, to a, a big extent, you can relate that to areas of life that are more difficult to understand, you know, because how many times will you, when you train something like jujitsu, you have some kind of like passion in your life, say, this is like in life because it's this way. That's why people are always saying jujitsu is like chess and people are always saying life is like chess, you know? So I think, I think it's to find whether it's jujitsu or something else, something that helps you identify, appreciate, understand, comprehend, deal with the difficult portions of um, living in ways that you couldn't just analytically approach before you had that thing in your life. Cause I think when you find that you find something transformative, that's going to like really enhance your, your entire lifestyle, you know? So, I mean, they, and that, that's something that, that, that people pitch about whenever they're, they're marketing something like jujitsu or martial arts in general is like, you know, it's, it's not that necessarily the self-defense aspect or the competition aspect or any of these aspects are the most important thing. It's something that is going to put you through a crucible of, cer of a certain extent 
and help you on the other side of, of coming through that to better understand all the difficulties that you're going to face in life and how to approach those and how to solve those problems. So, uh, you know, I would say that people need to find something like that for them. And jujitsu did it for me, but, you know, maybe fucking quilting can do it for somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> quilting. <laughs> okay okay so guys uh we've reached the end of the podcast thank you all for listening if you want to follow eli and his social medias it's at eli knight jiu-jitsu i'll I'll have all the stuff in the description anyway i'll also have links to his bjj fanatics instructionals about gi to street and self-defense jiu-jitsu sort of stuff and guys if you want to follow us on instagram it's at humans jiu-jitsu podcast and if you want to support us on patreon help fund us and get some better equipment hopefully improve the episodes it's at patreon.com forward slash jitsu So, Eli, do you have anything to say before we shoot off? No, man. I just appreciate you having me on, and I've had a great conversation. And uh, I really like the variety of questions, man. It was, it was a great, great time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, guys, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Adios.